What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Meaning of Podcast. I'm Ace. This is RB3. And this is the podcast where we talk about your favorite directors and the deeper meaning within their films. And this episode, we're talking about producer, writer, Mr. Star Wars and Star Trek franchise man himself, J.J. Abrams. J.J. And his films, which he has a few, and they're pretty much all franchise films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Franchise, franchise continuing films, franchise rebooting films restarting films uh it's a very very interesting topic that we're about to tackle into uh and i'm genuinely curious as to what rb3 thinks about mr abrams himself but before we do that we are going to talk about mission impossible fallout which Uh came out over the weekend we're going to get into spoilery stuff so if you haven't seen it then watch it and then watch this video or if you don't care you can continue watching continue listening and you probably won't miss too much. To yeah, be right. We'll put, I'll put a little start when we start the episode or whatever. You know yeah, what I mean? whatever. Uh, yeah. It's 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 definitely not. We're not gonna. I'm assuming we're not gonna spoil anything crazy. But if we do, sorry, we warned you beforehand. So that's how it's gonna be. Uh, now, before we do that, I want to read some comments from last week's episode where we talked about the great John Schnepp, yes. R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, there was a ton of comments ton of support from you guys which we greatly appreciate we Mm -hmm. definitely don't want to go without saying that um a lot more youtube comments than we usually get but it's you know because of his greatness we definitely don't want to take any credit for that um a lot of people making tributes to john schnapp on their own youtube channel or on their own network and that's great Mm -hmm. because i think it's a an important time to reflect on someone who was so impactful in our lives right yeah. Um, let's start out with Greeno86, who says, This was the first episode of your show I've watched, and I'm glad it was. Schnepp was awesome, and I will be missed. I love how he'd, he'd sing Flash whenever Flash Gordon was brought out on AMC and Collider Movie Talk. I looked up, I looked over my Twitter interactions with him, and he was always like the tweets, but one tweet he replied to um, was because I'd noticed he made a reference to a British comedy called The Fast Show, and he confirmed it. I have a soft spot for Excalibur, and he brought up the film a few times in various shows. R.I.P. King of the Sweaties. Yeah, um, great comment. Um, personal story connected to it. That's great. Thanks, man. We mm-hmm. appreciate that. Um, Room six 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 movie review says very cool episode. Schnepp will be missed, and he's the reason I started doing my own review channel while trying to write and direct my own stuff. Glad glad to see you guys teaching the youngsters about different type of directors. Love the episodes on Cuaron and Iñárito. You guys should gather up some recent directors who have small filmographies or not as well known, like Ben Whitley, Jeremy Saltner. Andrea Arnold, Yorgos Lathimos. Either way, good stuff. Yeah, Yorgos is the one that stood out the most to me. (laughs) Right, right. Lobster. And I just saw Killing of a Sacred Deer uh, recently. What'd you think of that? Uh, Oh, it was different. Yeah, okay. It was different. It was different. Um, also, I also got to give a shout out to uh, 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 Adriana Arnold, uh, who made a lot of incredible films. Probably the most nominated uh, female Cannes director, I think, in recent memory, too. That's dope. And um, American Honey is an amazing film that she did. That's so. right. American Honey. Right, 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 right. Interesting. That's what the one girl who's... She was like a first-time actress. Right. Um, I forget her name. I forget her name, too. Yeah, but she's she's great. All good. Uh, Leslie Yu says, What Ace said about missing out on what could have been Schnepp's opinions and thoughts on upcoming movies he was most excited about is what I would miss about him the most. He recommended His recommendations always carried certain weight. Deep condolences to his family and friends. Yeah, that was the one thing I said that literally like broke my heart in the sense mm-hmm. of like, I was like, man, that sucks that we're gonna miss out on that. All right, hey, but he's probably he's probably up there. Already saw Avengers four and, and Shazam and all that stuff. So. Yeah, he's he's throwing spoilers around to people who haven't seen it. <laughs> right, 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 right. 
Not that Schnepp did that. I just think it's crazy because he loved talking about everything he was passionate about. All right. Uh, Chad Crypto says, thanks Ace and RB3 for doing this in his honor. Schnepp's sense of humor and extreme IQ is what really set him apart from the average person. Just watching him over the past two and a half years has been inspiring and makes me want to be a better person creatively uh, creatively and humanly. Restwell Schnepp, Sweaties Unite. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely an inspirational figure, and yeah. we touched upon that last week. Unbelievably creative, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he really, I mean, everyone has said it, but it's so true. He really, you know, pushed for people being themselves and choosing their own identity and choosing their own desires yeah. and interests. And, and like what they like, you know, mm-hmm. don't judge for that. Yep. Uh, Corey Knoll says, I started watching Collider more because of Schnepp. He made me feel like I wasn't alone, loving geeky things when no one in my everyday life cared about my passions. He was so inclusive and was kind to me on Twitter when we would tweet back and forth. I'm so sad I never got to meet him at a con and thank him in person. RIP John Schnepp, the world of fandom will never be the same without you. Thank you so much, Corey. We appreciate that comment, and we appreciate all your comments, guys, from last week's episode. We know it was a very different episode. We know we got a lot of new viewers because I've read some comments that were saying that that there was their first episode that they ever saw of The Meaning of Podcast, Mm -hmm. and we greatly appreciate it. If you're continuing listening, that's great. If you're not, that's great as well. Um, We definitely wanted to pay tribute to someone who had such a personal impact on our lives, too, so Mm -hmm. that's why we chose to do that. And... uh, yeah, I mean, R.P. John Schnepp, he's going to remain in our memories for Fair now right. until forever, right. for real, honestly, right. especially as we get into deeper into Hollywood forever. Because, I mean, I just kind of start, I feel like I've just started, but who knows? Right, <laughs> right, 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 as far right. as what we're going to create and what we're going to make and what we're going to say as far as whatever career path RB3 Night choose. Right, 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 um, right. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. But yeah, great, great. Um, thank you, thank you guys for watching us pay tribute to Schnepp. Um, you know, to all the all the YouTube viewers and all that stuff. Thank you to iTunes viewers, by the way, too, um, for watching last week's ep- listening to last week's episode, and also listening to our Quinn Tarantino episode too. I mean, we didn't really have a chance to you know uh, do our victory lap uh, for 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 our Tarantino show, but uh, we did great that one yeah we totally did man yeah. i mean honestly just naming quentin tarantino just automatically gets people to listen to yeah. <laughs> that's what we learned very quickly uh right. one of the comments from from that tarantino episode was like why haven't you gotten those this sooner like finally right. and i was like yeah that's a good point we should have totally should have done that sooner. <laughs> um hey it was a great it was a great show let's get into mission possible fallout which is a movie that came out over the weekend that mm. A lot of people had opinions on, and it turns out a lot of positive opinions on. Oh, yeah. I was telling RB3 beforehand that it's crazy how this movie got so much hype as far as being like a really good film. And then coming out of the theater, people on Twitter, I was reading some tweets, and they were like, this was like, you were one of them. Oh, yeah. But I saw some other people on Twitter saying the same thing. They were like, this movie is just like next level. Go see this movie now. And I'm like, yo, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's some passion for this movie. I went and saw it with my brother who's in town. Um, and he just like, he looked at me and he's like, yo, I haven't seen a movie that exciting since Infinity War, <laughs> which was like a few months back. But either way, that's high praise in my opinion. I know that's not no, maybe high say, praise in no, your opinion. That, that, but it, as far War. as like action and stuff, I think it's, you know. Comparable? Not, not comparable, but as far as like exciting, having a very exciting movie watching experience. I think Fallout is a very movie, ex- you know, exciting watching experience. But either way, he loved the movie and he was just fascinated with it. And he loved every story beat and everything they chose to do. I thought it was slightly long. <laughs> yeah, it was long. It was like two and a half hours, which yeah. is, again, it's the same thing as Infinity War, which was two and a half hours. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this film. And I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, RB3, because I know you had a very 
high praise of this movie. I think this movie is absolutely incredible, Ace. I think this is one of the movies that will define the action genre, uh, you know, from going forward in terms of the stunts. And listen, I love the Mission Impossible movies. I made that very clear on previous episodes. We talked about Brad Bird from Mission Impossible 5. Um, Mission Impossible 4, I'm sorry. Yeah. I think they're all great. And I think what I loved about what I loved about three, and we're gonna talk about three today, is is the is the upridge of the action. Uh, I feel for, like that's when it started. That's when it's when it kind of started. Yeah. You know, when the franchise took a different direction. And then four I loved because it had the one big stunt, and five I loved because it didn't have one necessarily big, big stunt, it did have the plane thing, but it had multiple stunts like later on in the movie that I really appreciated. This one to me, what I loved about this one is that it had the consistency of Rogue Nation while having every stunt be the Dubai sequence. You know what I mean? Like yeah. from, from four, like every single stunt was was an event. You know what I mean? Sure. Like from the beginning when they had the halo, you know, from the beginning when they had the halo jump, the one take. That to me is, I watched that in the theater, man. And, and honestly, like. After that whole sequence is over, when they land on the roof, and Henry Cavill wakes up and he's like, uh, "I guess you lost your your oxygen tank." Yeah. Like literally, a tear just like flew like <laughs> right down. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. I just imagine you giving like a standing ovation. Right? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, me, man. I just I rewatched Spider Man Homecoming. That scene where the guy's like, "Yeah, Spider Man," and then something explodes. <laughs> right, right. You, you right. just yell like, "Yeah, Tom Cruise!" <laughs> or Mission Impossible. <laughs> and then Iron Man shows. He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> that guy's clutch, bro. That guy's he's there were so many great extras in that movie in yeah, Spider Man, yeah. but he's one of the most clutch ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he, funny. He gets, he's he funny. Get out of your seat and cheer for like yeah. two seconds. That was me and Mission Impossible, man. Yeah. That was me and Mission Impossible. Because honestly, man, I could have I could have really hated that movie, and not because of the movie itself, because I had an awful experience like <laughs> going into it. Um for one, I was on the Wanker show, uh, you know, I'm on the Wanker show this week, and you're gonna hear me talk about Mission like this, Impossible. This, yeah, yeah, and I kind of met... Oh, your movie-going experience. Yeah, there's this old woman who was there who, like, when I was trying to buy my ticket, um, and she, like, as soon as I'm, like, getting my ticket, it's, like, 10.35, movie starts at 10.30, you know what I mean? I'm at the landmark. And then she literally comes up to me. She's all like, oh, you know, the Egyptian gods and the mythological, this and that. She, like, she could, you could clearly smell the liquor on her breath. Was you know what I mean? this like, a random woman? or Just woman? a random woman I've never met before in my entire life. talking like, to you? Just literally. And I didn't, I had no idea because I'm looking at the screen trying to get my ticket at the kiosk. And, like, I turn around and she just, like, is in my face. I'm like, all right, like. Which wasn't that bad because it was honestly entertaining hearing what she was talking about. Sure. But she was just like, oh, you know, uh, after all these years. And she was really mad that, like, people were seeing Mission Impossible. And <laughs> she was like, and, you know, I, I used to be rich three or four years ago. I used to be on top of the world. Now all I see is Tom Cruise on top of the world. Well, all I see is, you know, <laughs> she's going on and on. And, like, honestly, like, I, okay, so, like, I was listening, but also I'm like, all right, the movie's about to start. So let me, let me get going. So, like, I leave, right? I go to the theater. I, you know, because when we go to the movies, we like to get the seats like in the front aisle, so you know you can just dip in and out. So That's I got, exactly what I do. Yeah. Right, right, right. So like, I I got the seat there, but then like I'm looking and like the whole row is like filled up. I'm like, yo, what the fuck's going on? So I'm like, I, I I I I walk into the movie and I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing the whole opening sequence when they're like the whole shootout thing Ooh. happening, but I don't have a seat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like walk out of the theater. I get like one of the. One of the like lonely uh, like theater workers. Employees, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey man. Uh, so because I, I had the row G, so I was like, is G uh, G G's the row in the front, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. I think somebody's in my seat. And then and then and he's like, 
Oh, okay. Well, I'll go check it out. I was real spawny, like little white dude. You know what I mean? So, like, we go to the, where my seat's supposed to be. Mind you, the movie's playing in the background. I'm That's, the the worst. That's the worst. That's the worst. Because if it was like right before, you'd be like, all right, this is messed up, but at right. least I can watch the movie. Right, right. But while right, the movie's right. playing, it's like, oh. Yeah, right, right. And then I, so I, I, I get, I get the dude. We go to the where I'm supposed to be sitting, and then there's this like older, another older lady, different older lady. Uh, she, she's just sitting there in the front, and she's like really upset because i guess like she had a seat that was also already sat in so that's why she was in my seat so I, she was like i can't believe this i'm just trying to watch the movie da, da, da. but she's like silent like whispering you know what i mean but like yelling at this dude and this dude just had like the fear of god struck in him he's like oh well, yeah. i don't know ma'am ladies <laughs> ladies at you are the worst yeah. like i'd rather have a big dude i'm like all right yeah whatever, right. At, least, at least we could fight you know yeah. what i mean like but I when there's ladies you're like oh yeah, this is so uncomfortable. Yeah, and then and then like literally like there's no there's only like one other seat like right exactly in the middle of the theater. And yeah. I was like I didn't want to walk up you know because I have to get through the middle sure. you know those seats are kind of small so and the movie's playing you know what I mean so I don't want to go in between people. Um, man, so yeah, this chick, this old this older woman is just yelling at the guy. Poor guy is like sweating fucking balls. You know what I mean? Like and then yeah. like he's like, hey, um, I'm sorry, sir. Um. I, Maybe you could sit in that seat over there, and like I'm getting ready, to like tear into this guy, man. I'm like I'm getting the the, the hands cooking, like yeah. grilling him. You know what I mean? Yeah. By this look over at his face, man, he's like, I, I, like he was so scared. Dude. I was like, yeah. all right, you know what, man, don't worry about it. And he's yeah. like, he's like, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, literally, like just stood there for like ten seconds and just like walked away. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, dang, man, it's all cold. Uh, all, all because of movie pass. This is a movie pass thing. That's oh, you know the no, whole thing in yeah. LA where they you can see any movie yep. pass. The only places they're showing it is the places that they, the e ticketing. So the landmark was like one of those places. Oh. Uh, but then like I guess like low key the the seat that she had mentioned she was in before was also a seat that was on the movie pass. Sure. Then before that, I saw when I was checking in and all that kind of stuff. So hoping um, they stay around, man. Now see if movie pass will survive. Yeah, survive. Yeah. Um, but they didn't didn't run Mission Impossible for me. I should have been mad. I missed the I missed most of the entire first you know, sequence. Yeah. First sequence. I did see the whole thing with when the hotel when he's in the hospital bed and the t- he's yeah with Wolf Blitzer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. Funny. <laughs> uh, the world is coming to a cosmic. And then, yeah. and then the hospital walls fall. I'm like, yes, this is nice. This is what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was just, uh, it was a great movie. It's man. a pretty funny opening sequence to consider it's so long. It's such a long opening It's a sequence. long sequence, By the time yeah. you see the logo come up, you're like, damn, that was like uh, no, that was the first minutes. Act. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first act. Yeah, it usually takes like three minutes or something to have that logo pop up. Right, right. Um, but that was like a long, I was like, damn, this right. movie's really being like, yo, this is going to be long. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm in, ready. The, I'm in negotiations for the seat that I paid for. Uh, <laughs> it, went, it happened to me for Hacksaw Ridge when I went to see Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, man. Um, I was sitting in my seat mm-hmm. um, and someone, and it was an individual seat, and a couple, the movie starts playing, mm-hmm. and a couple comes up to me and it's like, oh, you're in my seat. And I'm like, actually, I'm not. You know, this is mm-hmm. my seat. Right. And he's like, actually, you are. Look at my seat, too. And we have the exact same ticket oh. number with seats. And I'm like, this is weird. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, I don't know what we can do. And he has 
his, his wife with him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm here by myself. I don't care. I'll move to an open seat. Right. I just moved to like an open seat because I didn't. I wasn't in the mood for fighting for one seat when a guy has his wife right there. Yeah. And if, if I had my wife right there, I would have been like, bro, get back. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah, don't. Yeah. So that was the only experience I had with that. And I, would, yeah. I thought it was kind of funny that I was like, it's the same one. It's yeah. like that Spider-Man meme when they both <laughs> play at each other. Each other. <laughs> but either way, man, you really enjoyed this movie. I loved it. Um, tell me about the characters as far as the character. Man, fuck all that, man. <laughs> it's, it, it, listen, it doesn't matter. Like, this, this really? movie is not... You don't not, think it matters? Like, it, it matters, with but Ethan like... With Hunt and with... He's cool. For, for me, like, to me, like, it may, not be, it might not be the most clever written movie or like the most. It literally was all about the action for you. Yeah, it was all it was all action, man, all action. True, and a true American audience member, dude. No, well, I mean, hey, <laughs> that's what it is. Because I mean, I'm I'm for it. And you know, for me, I thought this movie did the best visual storytelling out of all of them, particularly in those moments where they were like flashback or flash forward to what Tom Cruise or to what Ethan Hunt thinks is going to happen in certain events, like where he flash forwards to the. Uh, to the uh, to the whole thing where 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 uh, the whole shootout sequence, you know? What oh, I mean? okay, yeah. And it's like it's like it's like his imagination of it, but sure. it's like really dark and visceral. It's like all silent. Yeah, they do that. They do that technique a couple times in the movie, sure. which I really enjoy. So yeah, those are those are those are character moments that stood out to me. But of course, it's it's silly, it's wacky, like mask. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be like that, you know yeah. what I mean? But for for the the double crosses, I I brought you know. The whole point is just to buy him, you know what I mean? And I bought him. You know, like when he, when, when towards the end, there's a, there's, there's a, you know, mask removal that, that happens that, of course, you can kind of see coming, but at the same time, it's still like, yeah, all right, all right, that's, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. You know? I, I like that. There's, yeah. I, we, we can say it. I mean, we, we, we said spoiler. No spoiler. So all right. Yeah. When, was... when Simon Pegg revealed that he was actually the South African homie, I forget his name. Right, right, right. Um, Lago or whatever. La- yeah. Simon Lago, yeah. That that was cool. I like yeah. that too because I even said, "Oh shit!" Like I didn't, I, I saw it coming, but not that much. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Oh shit, that's clever." Because I saw the Henry Cavill mustache man yeah, twist. Yeah, right, right. I saw right, that right. twist, that mustache twist. Right. Um, like as as soon as he was like on, I'm like, this guy's gonna be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as soon as he was telling, uh, what's your name? Uh, the CIA director who was, who, who oh, was Angela Bassett. As soon as he told Angela Bassett, yeah. uh, he's like, Ethan Hunt's probably the bad guy. And I was like, mm-hmm. You're the bad guy. Right, right, <laughs> you're right. clearly the bad guy if you're right, saying this because right. it's not going to be Tom Cruise. He's not going to put himself as a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest question for me, and this I've told this story so many times to people who don't really know that much about it, mm-hmm. was the mustache, bro. Yeah, the mustache right, right, right. that that helped bring down the, the most totally powerful superhero oh. franchise ever, which is Justice League and <laughs> Superman. Right. The mustache that destroyed Superman. Listen, not, nah, and you know what? Here's what I say: totally worth it. I was totally, gonna say the decision. Like, the was whole the right point decision. of me watching this movie was to see if it was worth it. Yeah. Was it worth like that? The, the pettiness that that Abrams had to had to be like, nah, bro, you ain't. Come on, please, man. Nah, he ain't shaving no mustache, bro, and just hang up on Zack Snyder or Joss Whedon, whichever one it was. Um, the audacity, the bro. Audacity. The pettiness. Yeah, man. And he's probably like cracking up as soon as he hangs up. He's like, bah, bah. he's like doing right, like, right, right. he's like high fiving Simon Pegg and shit and Tom Cruise. He's like, yeah, bro. Because yeah. uh, I'm telling you, a lot of people have been talking about on Twitter how it's like the movie was bad to begin with. True. 
but it it added an extra few cherries on top Did with they? that horrible mustache yeah. movie. Yeah. It made it even worse. Like the opening of Justice League. Yeah. As soon as it opens, you're like, oh. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, the fact that they opened with that was you're like, like was, oh, was, this. Was, why does it look so weird? And you know what? To be fair, when you watch it on TV, it doesn't look as bad. Like when you watch it on TV, it's like True. it's not as noticeable. And when I show it, and I've, I've said I've said this from the very beginning. If people don't know about the mustache, they won't notice it. You know. Uh, but mm, like true-ish I've, no, I've talked to some people who didn't really know about it right they noticed it well every every time I try and show people the clip they're not convinced you know what I mean like but it was seeing it on the big screen this, this, that was the problem you I know was gonna I mean? say like, yeah that too but also like I, I turned to my brother and I, I mean that's the big question I even joked about it on Twitter it was like was it worth it and he's like mm-hmm. oh totally totally no, so the must have was so worth it and I'm like I want to hear why and he was like oh because because you associate it, you associate Henry Cavill so much now, even though he's not really a famous actor with mm-hmm. Superman, mm-hmm. that at this point, to really make him stand out to be different from his usual characterization, mm-hmm. the mustache adds so much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting response. Right. And, it, and, it does, and it does make him the mustache twirling villain. It really does. Yeah, it literally yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was great, and I thought it was worth it, too. I even said on Twitter, uh, I put a... A, an image of my mom asking me was it worth it and, mm. and I, my answer was just a picture of Henry Cavill in Justice League where he's going like this and I was like what do you think girl <laughs> what you think <laughs> that's like my response to my mom asking me if it was worth it I'm like of course it was worth it look yeah, at this look at this face it's, it's totally worth it um, but yeah I liked Henry Cavill I like Henry Cavill in general I think he's a lot of fun even though a lot of people have criticized his acting but I think he's good I just feel like they would give him more of a shot in the DC movies because my mom and i both agree that in man of steel it's called man of steel and he's like burly saying shit in the movie he's just giving <laughs> grim looks that's... he's just grimly looking somewhere or like <laughs> loathing from afar or sitting on a boat and he's just looking so deadpan yeah and i'm like man this superman's kind of <laughs> but then but then like it, it made it even worse because i feel like man of steel is his best you know what i mean and then we go like batman versus superman that's when it got really the movie's know. called batman versus superman and y'all shading superman yeah, so hard i'm yeah. like really he's in it for like 20 minutes yeah, yeah. he says like 10 lines in batman versus superman yeah. the clark clint stuff the clark clark kent clark clint stuff was was great and and, and batman versus superman sure but when when he was actually superman that was i was unbe- that was unbelievable uh, <laughs> yeah that can be a whole different uh, conversation but i, I I'm, yeah. I'm cool with henry and i'm i'm you know went out to support the mustache go support the mustache go support, and go support henry cavill too man because he man. deserves another shot yeah superman i 100 percent agree i've yeah. been preaching that from everywhere i like him as superman i really do i just feel like different script different type of role it would be awesome mm-hmm. but uh either way i really enjoyed fallout i thought it was really good i thought it had great action sequences i don't feel like necessarily it's the best of the action sequences i still feel like i told my brother i'm like as tense as i was during this that goes protocol one maybe it's the heights thing for me i think it's i have a heights thing mm. that it just really but falling took from, me out of my seat falling from thirty-five thousand feet out of a plane? That's great, but I was just... <laughs> that building, bro, slipping yeah, from a building as yeah. you're climbing something in Dubai, I was like, yo, yeah, 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 yeah. I can't feel my stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it was I'm great, and I, I loved the twist. I thought Simon Pegg was great. I thought Rebecca Ferguson was fine. Rebecca Ferguson was amazing. Yeah. Shout out to Vanessa Kirby 
Princess Margaret from The Crown. My brother and I were like, yo, yo. <laughs> we're just going nuts for The Crown. Yo, The Crown is the shit, oh, is that, though. Is like, we're the, literally uh, turning to each other. Is that The White Widow? No, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, 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 um, okay. Where we're literally turning to each other. Like, yo, The Crown. And we're like giving each other like high fives, <laughs> my brother and I. Because we're hype. We're like the biggest The Crown fans in my family. And we like <laughs> hype it up. We like always gassing it up everywhere we go. Um, so shout out to her. Shout out to uh, to Tom Cruise for doing another crazy. My brother asked me too he's like does he really do all his stunts and i'm like mm-hmm. tom cruise is crazy mm-hmm. like tom of course he does what this, do you out of, movie, one out of five tom cruise running what do you get i was gonna movie? say like this movie really played into the time i was cruise gonna running, say you know i told my I mean? brother i laughed i kind of laughed you gotta have to laugh. <laughs> yeah you have to laugh when he's because like, i was i literally no the best part is when he when he's talking to um what's her freaking name his wife who was in the, oh okay uh i know you're talking about uh michelle monahan michelle monahan yeah when, when he comes out and he's like uh, tom uh, tom i've not tom ethan i found something Right. And he's like, I'm sorry, I gotta go. And then he goes, Whew. Right in this prince, yeah. <laughs> and they left it in the frame where he literally <laughs> runs out of frame. <laughs> I was like, that is like clearly telling us to laugh at this. Right, right. Because it's right. so ridiculous how yeah. he immediately starts out, I gotta go. And he doesn't like mm-hmm. like lead into his run. He just goes, and I was like, yo, that's funny. Yeah, Tom Cruise running. I give this five out of five Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's all him running. Because he was he was really running on top of world class sprinter, bro. This guy, you see him against Usain Bolt, and he can probably take him. This tiny little white guy can just freaking sprint. Yeah, and you know what's crazy? And when he's when he's like, you're getting on him, you're getting it. Keep going faster, fast. I was like, oh shit! And then it goes, and the music is all epic. I was like, I was like, dude, this dude's literally the Flash. And you know, it's funny. Um, I think it's it's so funny that he this dude he he jumps out of planes. He he's flying. He's fighting helicopters. The one thing that fucks him up is is running and breaking his ankle. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the one thing. When he got hurt. Yeah, it's not even the craziest stunt in the movie, but it's still it's still gnarly like you yeah. still go Ugh, when he when he jumps to that other building and he breaks mm-hmm. his ankle uh, which he did in real life mm-hmm. um it's still a crazy stunt but it's funny how like out of all the stunts <laughs> you chose that one to hurt yourself <laughs> yeah it's it's uh, definitely a fun movie um i i say go out and see it go out and it's a two and a half hour ride the motorcycle stuff to me was like no, pretty no, gnarly that too. Was next level, that was yeah. that was gnarly like, uh, i was like shit the, on, the only thing for me was with the motorcycle stuff was that like when he went you into the tell. whole thing with cars, the you cars, the CGI cars. Yeah, you could tell. You know? I could tell too. Yeah, but but I mean but that's not a complaint. But I, on a filmmaking level, I'm very curious to see because mm-hmm. it clearly shot real cars going. Because there was some scenes where I'm like that's CG, and then there mm-hmm. was other scenes where I'm like that's not CG. There's and I was like oh going it was going back and forth. Right, it was using right, both, right, right. which I've always said is the best way to do it. But either way, you could tell, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, get, um, get Christopher McCoy to direct every uh, Mission Impossible movie from this. Apparently, point forward. that's what the plan is, especially <laughs> after this movie made like 62 million opening weekend. Isn't that like so the biggest? For it is the, the biggest. For yeah, 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 yeah. So props to Mission Impossible Fallout for. Making us appreciate a man's mustache even more. Yeah, and Tom um, Cruise's uh, Scientology. And so, I know, I, what, dude, what right of... after Mission Impossible, I turn to my bro and he's like, "Yo, this is crazy," you know. And I'm like, "Bro, you have to see Going Clear." <laughs> I, 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 my brother and I 
Because after like, yo, Tom Cruise is the shit, and you're like, yo, Tom Cruise is crazy. Yeah, no, man. Whatever, whatever, whatever Scientology yeah, juice they're pumping clean? into him. Yeah, I was I've like, seen, bro, yeah, yeah. that movie scares me. <laughs> hey, man. You're like, into yo, Scientology is pretty nutty, and then you see that my, during the alien crazy explanation, my brother's like, what the freak is this? And I told him, I'm like, I told you, dude. Yeah. When they basically Damn. say that Tom Cruise is like God, it's so, like, it's so, God. it's so funny how like we could literally like not review a Tom Cruise movie and not mention Scientology. You kind of have to, man. <laughs> Scientology's weird. Sorry, guys, if you're a Scientologist. We're not making um, fun of. We shouldn't. I guess you know it's kind of fucked up. Like it we're, is. We're not supposed to make fun of religion, but, but but it's even if you see the movie, it's barely a religion. <laughs> even that's like a whole thing. That's man. like is it is it really a religion though? Is yeah, it? Yeah. Um, but either way, tax, tax um, go see, go and clear. <laughs> yeah, and go um, see Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, go see Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes. Support the Tom Cruise. Version. I gotta see that mug in 3D because the homie saw it in 3D and he saw the 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 Halo sequence. That mug in 3D. Can you imagine that? And apparently, apparently it's funny because I'm not a 3D guy, but even I'd be like, all right, I'll just watch that scene. <laughs> right, just that scene, and then the, apparently the the IMAX screen when you see the helicopter stuff. Like the helicopter stuff at the end, that's when the IMAX opens up to do the full oh, thing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Go see Mission Possible Fallout. RB3, highly recommended. Yes. Um, now we're going to get into Mission Possible 3, oh, which is JJ Abrams' first directorial feature film debut. Um, obviously, a lot of you guys know mainly JJ Abrams from his television work, which is Lost, yeah, Alias, um, Alias, and Felicity. Mm. Um, which is the most not J.J. Abrams kind of thing you would imagine, Felicity, um, which stars Carrie Russell, which you will probably see in episode nine. That's not confirmed yet, but she probably will be. Um, And he likes, the first thing you notice right off the bat from J.J. Abrams is he likes working with the same people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Freaking, um, I I watched, I was like the biggest fan of Heroes, specifically the actor who plays Matt Parkman on Heroes. Mm -hmm. He's in Star Wars and Star Trek playing like the same role. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that's funny, but he obviously likes working with the same actors. And... If you're a fan of Lost, you probably know J.J. Abrams more than we do. <laughs> right. Because full disclosure, I'm not a Lost guy. Well, you know, I Are think... Are you a Lost guy? I'm, I'm not a Lost guy. I've only seen the pilot, which he directed. So I could I could speak to that, which is a good pilot. Um, apparently, I mean, apparently he's he's a producer on the whole show, but apparently his only involvement was the pilot. Mm, so. Well, he wrote a ton of episodes, too. Did he? He wrote, like, I think, like, 17 episodes. Something crazy. Oh, so he actually wrote... He wrote oh, a lot okay. of episodes. Right. Well, may, yeah. hey, but, hey, but, like, I don't know Lost like that. You know sure. what I mean? I know Damian Lindelof from Leftovers, which we should do a Leftovers. They co-created it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We should do a Leftovers uh, meaning of one of these sure. days, man. Yeah. Have Cody and Cops. Lind- Lindelof is very... Yeah, Lindelof's a name. He's got a career, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's... it's but I mean... When it, when it comes to storytelling, I feel like... What is your general opinion? Let's start with that, just because I feel like that's kind of what everyone goes to when it comes to J.J. Abrams, is he has... He has a style, but at the same time, his style isn't very, you know, to, to, to make a false comparison, because it's not something we should do, but like a Tarantino. Like, when you sit down and watch a Tarantino movie, you're like, yo, this is Tarantino going crazy. What is your running theme, which is the entire point of this podcast, of J.J. Abrams? What is the thing that makes it, besides the lens flare, um, what, is it, what <laughs> is makes it a J.J. Abrams movie? Um, I mean, listen... J.J. Abrams is a director who is um, very, 
very smart. He's very mm-hmm. he's very he's very capable and he's very much the guy who can deliver a high quality movie. To me, the movies that he makes in the franchise are typically the best. Um, but he he very much is he 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 takes a lot from the Spielberg ilk of the blockbuster kind of franchisey kind of creation stuff. And he, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but a lot of his movies tend to be the ones that are most commercially appealing, the the ones that can reach out to the widest audience. Um, And he succeeds at that without a doubt. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about Force Awakens later. I still think that's the best of the new new saga. Um, Out of the two. Uh, well, I mean, including or out of, the, out the, of all of the oh, okay. Lucasfilm, yeah. Cool. Um, I still think that's the best one out of them, and I think you know, even though it's it, you know a lot of people say it's a remake of A New Hope, it's still you know, no it's matter still how well I, done, it's still well done, and I think that's the through line through all of his movies. Sure. Always going to be well done, you know what I mean? So you don't think there is a, a, a quality that makes it a J.J. Abrams unique film? Well, I think that is his quality. It's okay. just the, to the, make the, a, make a by the numbers kind of movie? Well, not by the numbers. You don't want to say it's by the numbers? I wouldn't say, I mean, okay. they're distinct. I mean, he, he adds a lot of style to, to things that wouldn't necessarily be as styled up. You know, you look at... He's the, the pumpkin spice latte of... Film directors. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's nice. kind of a that's that's a great comparison. I mean, it, it, <laughs> but is that a good thing though? But I think I think it could be because I think when 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 um, you know when we look at something like Mission Impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mission Impossible one is a great you know a big pretty good hit. Um, but it's directed by Brian De Palma. It's almost like a blockbuster that's a borderline arts film in a certain way. Sure. Um, and the fact that it kills off all of his characters in the first 10 minutes, it does, you know, it does a bunch of weird stuff with, you know. Second one is also... Uh, John Woo, right? That's John Woo. John Woo tries to... It's like the crazy over the top. It's one. over the top. It's slow motion. There's doves. Um, I still think the whole sequence at the end where the knife almost hits him in the eye is brilliant. I think that's a brilliant scene. Um, but not a great movie. What J.J. Abrams asked this franchise is he he is not slow anymore. It's fast. He picks up the pace. It's rampant. There's a lot of action. You do see the whole kill the crew in the first 10 minutes kind of aesthetic too where he takes from the first one. But it's, it's re-updated to a much heightened, much faster pace. You know, the things are a lot more intense purposefully. The colors are a lot more saturated. Um, the close-ups are a lot closer in. Like literally there are scenes where you see Philip Seymour Hoffman's head like literally just like this because the whole point of that is to make is to to put you right to put put you right in the action put you right up front and of course i think that's a quality that comes from tv where tv is the purpose of tv is to hold your excitement and then movies kind of and then i think he implements that a lot into his movies as well yeah he's he's a very proficient action director for sure Mm -hmm. he likes his big explosions he likes his big action scenes and sequences and he's great at them to be completely honest, even if it's a CG action sequence like it might be in Star Trek, it's still like a really well-directed action sequence, which right. is a quality that a lot of people don't really talk about. Mm-hmm. It's action scene directing, which in my opinion is very, very distinctful mm-hmm. as someone who's a fan of martial arts films. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's a difficult thing to to put a defining quality on J.J. Abrams besides the lens flares. Um, because I do feel like he is very much inspired by movies like the, A New Hope. Like I feel right. like A New Hope is what he does a lot in his films, which is good. It's great. Because um, if you think about it, we haven't gotten there yet. Like the, His fingerprint on each franchise is almost like 
a throwback kind of thing and almost like a right, throwback kind right. of mention to the original or the OG. Well, I think, I think that's, I mean, I think that's what he, he, uh, I mean, he loves the Spielberg era. I mean, when we talk True. about super eight, super eight is directly a Spielberg, you know, movie. movie. <laughs> right, right, right. Basically. Yeah. And uh, you know, he encompasses that a lot in like the modern age, but almost like a postmodern aesthetic to it where, where Spielberg's movies were wild blockbusters and still commercially appealing they had this like slow, not slowness, but they had a, a building rhythm to them where I feel like JJ's movie just kind of snap and then like you're in it. You know what I mean? And even outside of movies that he directed, the movies that he produced, like Cloverfield, you, you're right into it the, the second the movie starts, you know? Um, you know, other films that, that he's produced, uh, I'm trying to think what else, what else, he's produced a lot of different movies, He's produced movies, a lot right? of films. Yeah, I mean... Like um, he's, I, I was talking to my mom about him because she was asking who we're going to do as far as a director for the episode. I told my mom, he's almost a more well-known producer than he is a director. Right, I mean, especially... I mean, we talk about TV, of course, too. I mean, TV is... Like, if you go to his producing credits, he has 60 on IMDb so far, and it's gnarly. Like, it's a lot. (laughs) Well, he's involved in a lot of TV shows, too, I think. He is. And, and, um, you know, beyond... You know, creation or just ideas. I don't know exactly to what extent his involvement in all of them are. True. Um, but all that to be said, JJ, if you're watching this, I know Bad Robot Guy internship program. All right. How are you, boy? I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt. Star Wars. Uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I know you are, JJ. If you're watching this podcast, how are you, boy? Applications in the mail. You Watch know. this work. <laughs> JJ. Out of all the shout outs you've given, this is the one that Bad works. Robot Productions. What is it called? Bad Robot? I, don't I think know. it's just called Bad Robot. Bad Robot. Hey, man. I love that logo. I love your logo. <laughs> I love your dope. movies. I love your movies, man. Yeah. Hey. I mean, he also has a close relation with Skydance. So, yo, Skydance. Skydance. <laughs> yo, Skydance. Yo, Paramount Pictures. Hire yo, me. Paramount. You're right. He has a connection <laughs> with Paramount. Um, um, but yeah, uh, but joking aside, he's a. But I, I do feel I'm going to kind of not challenge mm. your your statement on there but I, I almost do feel like he does have a fingerprint on everything he produces even if it's a little one i almost just i just because i feel like because I've, I've you know been reading up on jj and have been seeing his ted talk and stuff and i've been i feel like the mystery box yeah right. the mystery box one. Right. but but i feel like he's the kind of guy to be like to really put his foot down and be like no no no, i'm telling you guys this is good storytelling like this is good like, right this will right, get people right, into right. it um, when it comes to his producing credits versus someone like a Spielberg who I feel like just he's kind of like yo thumbs up and that's kind of his producing <laughs> he's done um, just because I do feel like he has a, a, a bigger say as far as I might be wrong I don't know obviously but it's one of those things where I do feel like his producing is much more qualitative and you can actually measure it a little bit more than his, even his directing. That's just a personal opinion of mine, but that's something that I personally feel. Even Mission Impossible Fallout, I told, I turned to my brother and I'm like, produced by J.J. Abrams and Simon Pegg. Like the fact that he's one of the lead producers in the film, obviously Tom Cruise is as well, and he has a lot of say, but I feel like J.J. Abrams still mm. is very much like, Involved. Involved. Right. That's right. just my opinion. As right. someone who, especially when it comes to the Star Trek films, right? Someone who puts his buddy, Simon Pegg, he's one of the reasons Simon Pegg wrote Star Trek Beyond. Mm-hmm. Like, it, all that kind of connection makes you feel like he very much is the kind of guy to be like, Simon's going to write it. This is going to happen because I'm J.J. Abrams. <laughs> like, right. he's the kind of guy who would actually have input that makes it into the film. Right, right. But I also feel like he's also great at collaborating too, true. right? Because, That's very true. Um, you know, when you look at something like Mission Impossible 3, it feels like a, a great Mission Impossible movie because 
you're bringing the whole crew back, right? You're bringing back the the OG. Tom, yeah, who o- plays Luther? What's the homie's name? Uh, Vin Vin, Vin uh, Ving Rhames. Yes, yeah, that's right. who was awesome in Fallout too. But he comes back for this movie, um, and it feels like the 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 regathering of and you know JJ also introduced the new characters, right? Is this the one that Simon Pegg was introduced, or is that the Ooh, fourth one? Ooh, that's a great question. I it might be this one. I think it's this one. Right, right, right. But either way, that's when you know, and, and you you get to meet the wife and. You know all that stuff, and and it and it has all and Carrie Russell at the beginning, of course, of, of this movie as she is, uh, as we mentioned before, and 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 Alias, but she's the beginning of this movie. Felicity. Felicity. Oh, okay, Felicity. Yeah, yeah my yeah. bad, my bad. Yeah, um, Alias is Jennifer Alias Garner. is Jennifer Garner. That's yeah. right, and Bradley Cooper. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's just it's, it's it's fascinating that he he brings in that aspect of it, but still makes it. Feel like the new, newer wave, a newer, updated action, sure. action heightened movie. Yeah, people love Mission Impossible three. It's it's pr- pretty much everyone's favorite Mission Impossible movie when yeah. it comes to rankings. And obviously, we've yeah, seen a lot of rankings. Now. I say Fallout now. Um, over the past week, like a lot of people have ranked these movies. Um, and it's one of those things where uh, it's funny enough. The reason why he wanted to do Mission Impossible, one of the reasons why, is because he's actually a fan of the OG one, not the show. Um, and he and he actually based part of Alias on it too. Mm-hmm. He said it was kind of inspired by a Mission Impossible type movie mm-hmm. uh, or type or the series because he felt like that's what most connected with the material that he was writing with. Um, yeah, I mean, Mission Impossible three gave us. Philip Seymour Hoffman's villain too. Yeah, right, 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 right. To be fair, it's because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. You, you can never go wrong. Phil I was going to say Hoffman. the guy is crazy, yeah. man. Right. He's such a good actor. It's gnarly. Um, just watching something like The Master or Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Hey, <laughs> Always going to give that a shout out. Like my brother out. and I are the same way too, because he's in town. And like I said before, but when when a homeboy who plays Seneca Crane from Hunger Games came out in oh uh, 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 West, West Bed, yes, yes, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. When he came out, my brother and I'm like, yo, Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we keep turning to each other and giving shout outs to different stuff that we like, <laughs> specifically The Crown and Hunger Games. Hey man. Um, but yeah, I mean, even stuff like that is where. People always cater towards Mission Impossible Three because of Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in that yeah. movie, and that speech he gives to Tom, not Tom, Ethan, in the movie. <laughs> it's, Tom Cruise, it? right? it's Tom, it's Tom Cruise. Cruise. Yeah. It's Tom Cruise. He's playing Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, that's why Ethan Hunt's crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Where he's like, "I'm gonna hurt you, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. hurt her real bad." Like mm-hmm. that line mm-hmm. is like a really funny line because mm-hmm. it's almost uh, it's a threat, mm-hmm. but it, you feel the threat mm-hmm. almost more realistically than if you feel like a like a a different type of villain. He he plays a very specific villain in that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, that's that stands out to you the most in Mission Impossible Three as well. Right, right. No, exactly. It's 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 the threat. It's the menacing kind of quality. Like I said the intensity and the and the style really helps with that too because it feels really fast paced, and it really. Uh, like I said, like the usage of close up in this movie, <laughs> it's probably the most intense. Like, and, and and you know, I always think it's it's funny too when you look at JJ's work he he kind of takes the things that he loves but modernizes it in the in the fashion of what's popular you know at least to him or at least to the, to the general public right when we talk about star trek he kind of made a star wars movie with star trek we talk about this movie it's a mission impossible movie but with the jason Bourne, with the Bourne ultimatum kind of style right the handheld camera the uh the hyper cutting the super fast cutting um the big the big like in the big international, not international, but the big running sequences. I mean, because this was the first one that the running became 
the whole thing. And when you watch those Bourne movies, Bourne is, is big on running. It's big on the handy cam, the shaky cam. It's big on the um, the, the hyper cuts, the super fast cuts. And I think he took a lot of that style. The and applied super it. hyper kinetic action sequence. Exactly, exactly, exactly. He took a lot of that uh, Bourne style, applied it to Mission Impossible and kind of reinvigorated a little life into it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the... I mean, think about it. Every franchise movie he's made either reinvigorated the franchise or restarted the franchise. Right, right, right. It's right. pretty gnarly what he's done when it comes to these types of movies. Action sequences, action-type movies, movies that are, like you said, much more commercial than uh, you know your average film or your average auteur. But like you said, it, it could be a very auteur type of thing to make these kind of movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? I think some, somebody's still got to be in the background making that pumpkin spice latte. You got to have a top-quality barista, man. I, I, think, I think pumpkin spice... Lattes. I, well, I don't drink coffee, but they they smell delicious. So. Oh, I was gonna say. Come on, man. <laughs> I drink coffee. You drink coffee? I do. Yeah. Are they good? They get coffee. It, right? It's it's good. It's really good. Yeah. I just think it's funny how that's the definition of basic nowadays. <laughs> um, I, I've joked about it before. I, I don't know if it's I've done it on this podcast, but I've joked about it with my friends. I have a basic door, basic <laughs> radar. <laughs> Um, I can see, I can spot basic, like, I've told you about <laughs> yeah, it, right? I have told, I have told yeah, you about yeah. it, and I'm, I'm dead serious about it, <laughs> and when it goes off too hard, I'm like, oh, I gotta get away from this person, because <laughs> so it's is, too basic. Is JJ's movies uh, cracking the basic meter for you? I or? was gonna say, are they RB3? Would you say, as someone who doesn't have the basic radar that I do? No, well, it's tough talking about his movies, because... This is the meaning of podcast. There's not a lot of deeper meaning in his movies, you know? I was going to say, what do his movies actually say? And it's not necessarily a criticism. It's a question that I feel like it's a valid question. I mean, I think it's totally valid to make movies that are just pure entertainment. You know sure. what I mean? I think it's totally valid to um, for people to have an escapism kind of, kind of deal, too. I think that's what a lot of early Spielberg movies were, were supposed to be, right? The Indiana Jones, the um, Jaws to a certain extent is is was intended to be a B movie. It just it was so well done that it, it was elevated to that status. And I think that's where JJ kind of takes that too. It's like it's pretty surface level material, but it's the execution that really matters. True. Yeah. I think the biggest answer to my question that I just an- that I just asked hmm. is Star Wars Episode Nine. I think that's going to be J.J. Abrams' biggest giant stamp on his career. If it fails or if it succeeds or if it actually does something that does something different from what Star Wars has done so far. I mean, say what you will about the prequels. The prequels kind of did that um, as far as George Lucas trying to say a statement about politics, you know, um, and about the changing of a person, even though it's not the best done episode three. But I feel like Everything we've seen so far with The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi won't really matter if if he doesn't, you know, hit it out of the park in episode nine. And I feel like that's going to be the biggest J.J. Abrams said something different by giving us a conclusion that's worth it. And I'm so nervous about it because right. I, I, I'm the biggest Star Wars fan, I'm the biggest Star Wars fan ever. So I'm like, please, J.J., make something that's not necessarily going to appease everyone, which I feel like is what they're going for now. They're just like, let's just appease everyone and just peace out and just be like, yo, this is our thing. Peace. We're done with Star Wars as far as the trilogies go. Well, I don't think I, I have I have faith that J.J. understood the, the criticisms of The Force Awakens, the whole thing of it being sure. a new hope again. Um, but and, the way that Star Wars fans are now, yeah. so split with The Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean. I, I really do think that, like I said, I, I really do think The Force Awakens is the best out of this, sure. this new series. 
And even though initially when JJ was announced, I wasn't happy with that announcement because we because Ryan this was before the Last Jedi actually came out. Sure. But just from the trailers of the Last Jedi, and ultimately what we saw in the Last Jedi was something completely different, and I appreciated it for being for its differentness. Um, but you know because we had an out there choice like. Uh, because we had an out there choice like like Ryan Johnson, I thought they should have went with a even further out there choice. But I think at this point, the way people were so divided over Last Jedi, it might be good to have something that values them back together. Now, I'm not saying that he should make Return of the Jedi. You know what I mean? Like he shouldn't do that. Um, which you know, which he, I think he could because really, when you watch the Last Jedi, and I said this before when we talked about the, the Star Empire Wars Strikes episode. Back. It's, it's, it's the same thing as Empire Strikes Back, you know, essentially. Um, it, he could have a similar kind of story, but I just, you know, to, to, to Return to Jedi, I'm just hoping that it could be something that's different enough to that will just satisfy our hunger for something a little bit more. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be a question that we'll see if it gets answered and how it gets answered in Episode Nine because I feel like, to be honest, man, that kind of pressure, even, even more than The Force Awakens, I feel like Episode Nine is going to be... 10 times more pressure. I don't know about you, but that's just how I feel. Specifically when it comes to the Star Wars fans and the way they are now, I feel like the way they were when The Force Awakens was coming out was definitely not how it was now. Right. I mean, but you got to also think, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about Star Trek and Star Trek in the Darkness, but Star Trek in the Darkness was also a movie that broke up an entire fandom. True. That's very true. (laughs) Let's actually get to that. Let's get to 2009 Star Trek. I believe it's 2009. Right, right. right. Um, 2009. Which rebooted the Star Trek franchise. And J.J. Abrams was in charge of it. Even though he openly admits all the time that he wasn't the biggest Star Trek fan. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) And if I'm being honest, um, something that I want to say about this movie right off the bat is that I don't know Jack shit about star trek about the tv series about in the movie like I, that wasn't my thing like mm-hmm. my thing was star wars mm-hmm. and back in the day there was a very big dividing line i know i'm assuming a lot of people are a fan of both but for me like my whole household my family my lineage is star wars for life you know kind of mm-hmm. kind of mentality so this was my introduction into star trek right and and personally i loved it to mm-hmm. me, it got me involved into Starfleet and Starfleet Academy, mm-hmm. the characters of Spock. And, like, I didn't know anything about this stuff. Like, obviously, I've seen pictures and images and stuff like that, but I didn't really know about the franchise. And I love this movie. Like, legitimately, might be my favorite J.J. Abrams <laughs> movie mm-hmm. because I really did connect to the characters. And I felt like, man, this is cool. It's different. It's not necessarily, you know, uh, Star Wars, but it's at the same time, it's similar enough for me to connect to it. Mm-hmm. I don't, to me... What Scott Mann said on Schmills one time was that this new franchise, the J.J. Abrams franchise, allows people who didn't grow up with the TV series mm-hmm. to become now fans of Star Trek. Right. And I think that's a very positive and good thing because it allows me personally to go back and watch some other movies of Star Trek, the right. OG Star Trek or some of the TV show or appreciate it for what it did during that time period. Mm-hmm. And that's what these movies did for me, the, this J.J. Abrams Star Trek franchise gave me the opportunity to be like man that was really cool i'm i like spock a lot i think he's a cool character let me go back in time or you know watching the tv show and transport myself to that era and to see what it did i think that's great i don't know if that's the same opinion you have on it but that's just me i, I love star trek 2000 right no i mean i agree i mean i actually really uh loved this movie ever since i first saw it in theaters and i i've always uh had a great appreciation for 
um, the fact that a I didn't know anything about Star Trek before this either. Same same as you. Um, but also B, I came out of it felt feeling like I knew Star Trek. You know, I came out of it feeling like I got a good understanding of who um, Captain who Captain Kirk is, who um, who Spock is, who all these different characters are. You kind of understand very quickly. I mean, they they give you a lot of good scenes of people interacting in their normal lives before they join the Starfleet to get a good good understanding and grasp as to who they are once they inherit those positions of power. Um, and Scotty is great. Zoe Saldana. Elora um, is great. And, you know... I love Bones. Bones Carl is great. Carl yeah. Bones. Like, right away, I was like, Bones is cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was, like, my first reaction to it. And, you know, Star Trek is always something that represented, you know, the, the 50s show, 50s and 60s show, was something that was... Was it 50s? It was the 60s. I think it was 60s, the 60s or 70s. My bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the the whole show was about these upstanding human beings who did nothing wrong, who don't who don't smoke, who don't do who don't curse, you know, you know, barely curse. They curse in the show, um, but like, who are these upstanding gentlemen? And this movie kind of deconstructs that in a certain kind of way to make to cut through the personifications. I mean, Spock Spock is supposed to represent the idealistic intellectual, right? The no emotions, the full spectrum of of that side of the brain where. Captain Kirk, they're foils of each other, right? They're supposed to, you know, Kirk is supposed to be the, the personality, the, the captain, the leader, the personable guy. Um, this movie kind of breaks those down into the flaws of what those kind of characters would actually represent. How an intellectual who's not supposed to show emotion or not supposed to f- express the way he feels, how that can bottle that person up into reality and how it kind of leaves them as being like this assholey kind of kind of dude. Whereas you see somebody like Kirk who's supposed to be this personable guy. He's a heavy drinker. Like William Shatner was on the show, but he's still uh, he's a heavy drinker who has no regard for um, himself or the people around him. Um, but I guess that's what being that kind of personality will do to you. But then he, he ultimately... Um, ends up growing into the captain that he needs to be. So it's a very great character arc st- story, and is very similar to the hero journey story that is presented in the original Force in the original Force Awakens, in the original A New Hope, uh, Star Wars kind of lineage. So exactly, it's it's almost kind of it's people say you know Star the Force Awakens is an imitation of or a, a, a spinoff or a ripoff of A New Hope. Star Trek 2009 is kind of too, <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> because right. it does the same kind of story beats. But but my thing too, and the thing you said right there, is what is probably my character defining thing that J.J. Abrams does in every one of his films is that he is really really good, and it's a talent to do it. Believe me, for character development, mm-hmm. for introducing characters that people might not know about, mm-hmm. whether it comes to Captain Kirk, Spock, like he's really good at taking a character through a journey. Right. Which is very, like you said, it's very, star, it's very Star Wars. It's very OG Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's great at that, especially with 2009 Star Trek and with The Force Awakens, introducing characters. Yeah. He's really good at introductions. Characters who we're gonna love, and then, exactly. And I think you know, even even to further enhance that point, that's that's what we saw in. Um, that's what we saw in Mission Impossible 3, too, by the way, is, is the fact that you love Ethan Hunt because he's being put through literally every single obstacle imaginable to the point where at the end of that movie, he's literally like paralyzed and disabled and you still are trying to fight and root for him, right? Like, um, that, I think that's why, that's why, you know, and you hear JJ talk about it. For JJ, uh, a lot of times when he talks about it in his TED Talks, you know, he, he talks about the mystery box, right? What the audience has to learn from it, from um, from from a movie and 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 the 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 mystery behind that, like what 
can be established at the beginning, you know, what's the question that 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 it leads towards the end. Um, but I think he's also always talked about how the characters, the characters, the characters are the most important thing to him. Um, and, you know, you see that in Star Trek, you see that in his other movies, Super 8 and in later films. But, yeah, that's 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 what makes him kind of the perfect origin director, because A, he's able to create a mystery that's going to carry us to the end. And then B, he creates characters that will that allows us to engage in that journey as well so yeah that was my biggest every time people talked about the force awakens after it came out that was my biggest thing from the force awakens was like it made me fall in love with these brand new characters Mm -hmm. like right away that's the biggest compliment i can give the force awakens where it's dicey when it comes to like oh will this characters work or not and the fact that he nailed that even just that is good enough for me to say yeah i mean that's that's hard to do Mm -hmm. to make you care about these characters right away but he does he makes you care about them right away and right off the bat we meet ray and i'm like i'm in love with ray ray's mm-hmm. awesome like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in it let's do it let's mm-hmm. see what ray's gonna do um same with finn same with like every character for me felt like it was like oh this is dope like i'm learning enough but not too much um and eventually hopefully we'll get more from that when it comes to the finale but yeah i mean jj abrams is talented when it comes to that because i really do feel like that's a talent mm-hmm. but you mentioned before that these J.J. Abrams Star Trek films are incredibly divisive (laughs) when it comes to the OG fans. I didn't know this until much, much later, until I think Into Darkness era, um, that apparently people hate these movies. Star Trek fans hate these movies, apparently. Well, I think the first Star Trek did an amazing job, like you said, uh, introducing it to a new audience. And I think that's where, I think that's, you know, even though I I don't think Star Trek fans... Star Trek fans expect something a little more intellectual, right? They expect something a little more that has a little more to say on a science fiction level and also on a geopolitical level because I feel like that's what the original series was targeting after. Um, a buddy of mine who uh, I've been laying stay at my place, my buddy Waldo, he's a uh, he's a uh, he's been watching the original series, so I've been kind of just you know watching episodes here and there with him. And kind of the through line I take away from it is that this show is about good people trying to do good politics uh across the universe you know and how your goodness is kind of end up being compromised by other people's motivations and what other people find as their resolve to to solutions you know yeah um this movie is less about problem resolution is more about problem action scene you know what i mean (laughs) and uh which i think is good in the fact that it got me interested in Star in Star Trek, and it got me to be like, oh, this is cool. But I think the OG fans kind of scarf it off. But I even think with this one, I think the OG fans are kind of cool with the 2009. 2009 one because at least it brought it back into prominence, right? Like before this movie, I mean, there was the the uh, the Star Trek uh, Resurrection or was it called Insurrection or whatever? Yeah, Insurrection. One of those that came out in 2002. And there was like a whole hiatus of no Star Trek content. Sure. Um, so this movie did bring it back into the forefront. Not only bring it to the forefront. I mean, I remember when this movie came out, people were considering it for best picture, like best picture consideration, you know. And ended up winning best makeup. Um, was nominated for best visual effects. Um, and you know, and I think if that year, that was also the year that Avatar came out and District Nine came out. So it would have been weird nominating three alien movies, I think. Um, but that's that's you know. Uh, a lot of people it had it just had that kind of appeal that that mass global appeal um and i think a lot of i think a lot of star trek fans i mean i'm not speaking for star trek fans because i'm not one i'm not a hardcore star trek fan but i think most part 
the first one had 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 a good amount of acclaim. The second one's a different. <laughs> well, different let's story. Let, be, before we get into the second one because I do want to get into that right away. Is is the idea of rebooting a franchise, which is something that is something that a lot of people in Hollywood hate because mm-hmm. they're like, why are they bringing this back? Because that's a that's a quote you hear a lot. Why are they bringing this back? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like this is probably the perfect example of why. Mm-hmm. This is the, probably the perfect example. 2009 Star Trek is a perfect example of like, oh, that's why. Because like I said before, it reintroduces uh, quality, quality shit when it comes to the OG stuff mm-hmm. to newer, younger audiences. Like right. 2009 was when I was graduating high school. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that's a perfect time for me to be like getting into this kind of stuff. Right. Um, going into college. Um, getting into Star Trek. Like that to me is like, this is cool. Now I'm into it. Now I want to research more stuff. And it's very difficult to reboot a franchise because obviously we see now that people struggle quite a bit. And I think this did it in a way that, like you said, made it more appealing for people. And mm-hmm. I think that's a very difficult thing to do. And we'll get into Force Awakens later on. But when it came to In the, Dark- in the Darkness, the follow-up, that's what it's called, right? right. In the yeah, Star Trek In the Darkness. Um, people did not like this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the whole movie is essentially a tribute to uh, Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan, yeah. Yeah, the Which, whole, it's basically a giant tribute to that re- movie. It's not a tribute, it's a remake. <laughs> I was going to say, it's almost a remake, right? Because that's that's what, uh, for anyone who didn't see Ghost in the Shell, that's what Ghost in the Shell was, and it turned out not good. Um, mm. Because the, the the movie itself even has like um, iconic scenes of Ghost in the Shell, and people didn't care. Um, and that's the thing. Like This one had iconic scenes of the original one, and mm-hmm. people were like, nah. <laughs> right, 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 right. But overall, what is your overall opinion on Inner Darkness? Um, well, I remember... I remember first watching in the darkness again not knowing star trek at the time i walked out of it perfectly enjoying it like i thought it was a, a totally fun movie you know right that's um, what i said too yeah like right, walking right. out i was like this this was kind of cool but then again at the same time i hadn't seen wrath of khan at that point i hadn't seen any other star trek the Sweet. only other star trek movie i saw was the first one so for me it was like oh this is cool cool it's a little cheesy you know yeah. the, the blood at the end switching blood that was a little crazy but uh, but then watching the online reception, man, I was like, woof. I think at Star Trek convention, it was voted the worst Star Trek movie ever. Um, at some other, you know, Star Trek fans online were not having it with this one. Um, and it wasn't until, because, um, you know, I go to USC. I, I'm a senior producer on the show, see at USC, um, you know, uh, on the Trojan Vision television network. And... Um, one, my first guest I ever had on was Scott Matz, right? That's so right. Um, I remember talking to him back backstage um, at at the TV studio that we have at USC, and um, I and we were talking, and somehow we were talking about Blade Runner, which we're both fans of, and he started talking about Star Trek, which he's a big fan of. I don't know much about, but he gave me a good understanding of why fans are upset because. You know, when you start off this reboot that, you know, already is murky waters because it doesn't necessarily appeal to what the original fans want, but it opens up this entire fan base, opens up this entire world uh, uh, that is limitless at this point because, you know, it's still, it, and, and it's satisfying too, which we didn't mention before because it's kind of passing the baton because we see the old, you know, Leonard Nimoy, um, we see Leonard Nimoy in there, uh, you know, as old Spock, kind of giving it parallel dimensions, parallel universe kind of deal. Um, so it, it appealed to the old fans in that kind of way. Um, but, you know, it, when you have this entire universe, this great premise set up, 
and then you're going to remake Star Trek 2, <laughs> you know, which, by the way, apparently, and I didn't know this until doing more research on it, you know, Star Trek 2 was also the same kind of thing where Star Trek, the first Star Trek, the original motion picture was kind of a, not a big hit when it initially came out. It was almost kind of a borderline flop. Um, but Star Trek 2 is what really got people invested into the movie franchise of Star Trek because it's much more of an action-oriented thing. Um, the director of Star Trek in the Darkness himself is in a similar kind of situation as J.J., was not a Star Trek fan. Uh, and the reason why he did Star Trek uh, The Wrath of Khan um, was because uh, he, 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 he had watched a lot of the old episodes of Star Trek and... To him, it was boring, so he he kind of condensed a lot of those episodes into kind of one movie, you know what I mean? And kind of heightened it up, made the speed of it a lot faster, the pace of it a lot faster. Um, now, of course, Star Trek fans love Into Dark. Uh, I'm sorry, love Wrath of Khan because it's the it's what the quintessential Star Trek was with the with the original cast and everything. But opens opening it up, this movie doing a direct remake of it, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. It's a tough situation. It is. Yeah. It is. And, and a lot of it was, for, for me and for some people, the Uhura and Spock stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The romance, Ooh, cheesy stuff. Right, yeah, right, right. that was bad. That was probably the, the, the thing that stood out the most to me as far as quality. Um, yeah, I, it's definitely one of those things that if you're a Star Trek fan, it's a very different feeling than if you're not a Star Trek fan and if right. you don't know anything about it. Right. Yeah, and obviously the whole twist... Benedict Cumberbatch right, right, con, con thing right, right, right. was <laughs> well, see because I think you know they they were promoting this movie initially yep. with him as con but then they kind of pulled that right like yep. he was a, I, I don't know I mean I, I wasn't really keeping up with it at the time but I, I read this whole thing where uh, they had put you know Benedict Cumberbatch on the cover of Entertainment Weekly as like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is con and then they had to like pull it off shelves or whatever right or something like that yeah I don't know so <laughs> and they kept hiding it they kept hiding it I think that's also what pissed people off too is that they kept like you know lying, you know, lying. lying. He's lying to the fans yeah, yeah yeah I don't think they like that so yeah uh, that was yeah. poorly handled yeah because yeah. at the same time it's not like nowadays they're giving spoilers away or secrets but there's a better way to do it than how they did it right i mean that's the whole downside of mystery box philosophy too is 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 that whole uh, is just not you know it, you you want to hide a mystery but at the same time studios trying to market a movie and you know fans have at least some level of expectation you know what i mean so yeah it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of it for <laughs> darkness. Yeah, it's not much to say. I, will say, <laughs> I was going to say. I will say the oh, the beginning of this movie is beautiful. The beginning's awesome. I yeah. saw it at the John Williams concert when he mm -hmm. played the the intro for the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and my mm -hmm. friend actually worked on that that beginning right before the the opening the the credits mm -hmm. the rolling credits whatever. Right. Um, that opening sequence is crazy. Right, and crazy. We, we didn't talk about the first Star Trek. That opening for that movie with Chris Hemsworth is. It launched Chris Hemsworth's career. Right, yeah. right, right, right. I remember because right. I would watch, I saw some old interviews of, of uh, in Australia where they're like, uh, Australian actor Chris Hemsworth is in Star Trek. You know, mm. props to him. And it's like this, it's like this big thing. And it's, mm. it's funny because he's only in it for four minutes. Right. And yet, it launched his career. And Everyone know, literally came out being like, yo, that guy. That guy, he's good. He's yeah. dope. Because <laughs> yeah. he had a great scene. And, and you know, it's so funny because I have, I have most of J.J.'s movies on Blu-ray. Uh, I have Star Trek on Blu-ray. I was listening to the director's commentary. And it's funny seeing like a 2009, 2010 J.J. talking about this movie. He's like, yeah, we found this really uh, little-known actor out of Australia named Chris Hemsworth. And, we, and, you know, we had no idea. And then I was even talking to my wife. It's like, my wife was like, how'd you find a twin for Chris Pine? And then like, 
like and like literally not knowing that so many years later Chris Hemsworth he joined the family of Chris's right 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 <laughs> um, which. I mean, honestly, I think Chris Hemsworth probably is the bigger, bigger Chris right now, low key. I was gonna say, who's the best Chris? Yeah. Mine is Chris Hemsworth, bro. Chris Hemsworth. That's the best Chris because there's Chris Pratt, Chris, Chris Evans, Chris Pine, Chris yeah. Hemsworth. Right. I'm I'm on Team Hemsworth, bro. Yeah. So Hemsworth, the homie, man. Chris Hemsworth. I he's probably he's he's definitely the funniest out of all of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know who's the best actor though. Oh, best the best actor, actor is, is hard. Um, man, that's tough. I, mean, I think it might be. Cause Pine, Pine and, is great. And what's that movie? The freaking Western movie. He's dope in that movie. Which one? Oh, uh, uh, with Ben Foster. Oh, that's right. Uh, Three Ten of Yuma. Not Three Ten of Yuma. No, not that one. The the modern Western where they're playing two brothers and what's that movie called? It was like in my top five favorite movies of that year. Oh uh, man, I'm, really um, to think. I'm gonna look it up just because I'll be mad. But right. either way, his oh, p- I know what you talk. Oh, uh, uh, Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. I'll give, uh, Chris Pine's the best actor. That, that just for that movie. Yeah, right, 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 right. You gotta give it to Pine. Chris, Chris Pratt's great too, though. Chris Pratt's awesome. I yeah. love Chris Pratt. Um, um, either way, shout out to Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> right, right, Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Um, but yeah, no, uh, but yeah, and going to uh, the Star Trek point, uh, great opening there too. Also, l- nice little commentary on. Uh, the the need for healthcare, universal healthcare. In there the you country. go. Yeah, yeah. John Harrison wouldn't have been con if you know he had universal healthcare. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. And it's also I, I like that Spock chase sequence. That's just me. I like it. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, good guys. Yeah, we're not on top of the ships. I thought that was dope. Yeah, I was, was like, good. yo, Spock's about to shoot. And they're on like San Francisco. Me. Are they on Earth? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's really cool. But either way, Star Trek. Um, we didn't. We're not going to talk about Beyond too much because he technically didn't direct it. Yeah. But that's another example of his producing. Right. Um, I think is better than um, In the Darkness, and uh, it's comparable to the to the first Star Trek. Yeah, I, I liked Beyond. I re- I really did enjoy it, even though it didn't do too well at the box office. I enjoyed Beyond. Um, yeah, I'm still hoping we see a fourth one because apparently they're doing one that's Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth, and then the and then they're also doing the Tarantino one, which is what's gonna happen. <laughs> I, I still think one has to die. Someone's got to. Yeah, someone's yeah. either J.J. Abrams out or Tarantino's out. There's no coincidence that we did Tarantino and and J.J. Nope. in such There's close that connection right man. there, man. There you go. Um, let's get into his probably his most personal personal film which is super eight which is something he named after the first camera he got which his grandfather gave to him and he talks a lot about especially in the ted talk about how much his grandfather meant to him Mm -hmm. and that is kind of basically what super eight is it's it's jj abrams giving a tribute Mm -hmm. to everything he liked as a kid kid, including mr spielberg including mr spielberg uh, i mean this is a very i mean People saw this trailer and they were like, yo, <laughs> right, 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 right. is this like a Spielberg production type shit right, or something? Yeah, Spielberg produced it too. And, he did. And, um, and it feels like, I mean, JJ's made no, you know, he's made no mistake in, in, in acknowledging the, the influence that Spielberg has had on him as a filmmaker. Um, this is where it becomes the most prominent, I feel like. And it almost feels like it's the most negative. It's the most poorly received J.J. Abrams movie. It's one of the most poor, poor received ones, people yeah. People don't like this movie. I think people just feel like it's too much of a Spielberg ripoff. You know, it's too much of the Amblin productions, uh, you know, early horror thrillers. And we, and we did a, a meaning of Steven Spielberg um, where we talked about a lot of those type of movies in our part one version of it. Um, and, you know, I think that's very prominent um, in, in, in the case of... In the case of him, in the case of, of J.J. now, is that he kind of takes what he loves of the Spielberg movies um, in terms of the style, in terms of the characters, 
Um, but I feel like Super 8 didn't really have as much of the of the nuance, right? Of the what's what's lying underneath. You know, I think I think it does have what's lying underneath, but I think it's kind of so surface level that it, it, it hurts a little bit. Whereas I feel like where you watch E.T., you watch E.T., it's a movie about it's a movie about friendship, but it's also a movie about divorce. Right. Um, whereas this one is, you know, the whole story is about, you know, losing, you know, losing somebody in your life, losing. In this case, he lost his mother. Right. The main character in this. Um, and that is so much in the prominence of this movie that it feels over the top. It doesn't really have the same kind of. I feel like weight that some of the older movies that Spielberg made sure. has, but at the same time, it still has that thrill. It has that adventure kind of sense, and it has that throwback '80s kind of aesthetic as well. So yeah, I mean, Stranger Things too. I mean, Stranger Things, yeah. I mean, that's that's why I didn't love Stranger Things this season, particularly season one. Yeah. I didn't love it because it felt like so much of a nostalgia sure. trip. Um, this one felt like a nostalgia trip too, but this was, you know, this. It, it, it had the JJ lens flares. It had the big but it had the big budget like train destruction <laughs> over the top sequence. And it had yeah, I feel like almost like the alien stuff that was there. The aliens, yeah, it had the aliens. Yeah, you know, which you know Spielberg movies are known for having aliens. You know, oh my god, yeah. Those are those are big aliens <laughs> that were present in this one. Um, but there are some truly truly thrilling sequences in this movie where 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 they're all trapped in the bus in the middle of the road. Um, that's that's an amazing part. Uh, a lot of great parts. The whole stuff when they're in the military bases, trying to like maneuver through that, I think is really great. So there's a lot of great moments throughout this movie, um, and I think it's, it, it it works on an efficient level in terms of getting the homages to the Super 8 cameras, to the home video making, to the love of filmmaking. That's also what it's about too, right? It's about the love of filmmaking, the love of cinema, where they all shoot these like individual short films. Or not individual, but they're doing these short films, like these zombie movies and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's dope on that level, you know what I mean? It's just so... I feel like it's just so inside baseball that it just a lot of people have a hard time connecting to it. Yeah, and it, it almost felt, instead of being like a love letter, which it was supposed to be, it almost felt like, uh, like you said, it's slightly a little too over the top when it mm. comes to the sequences that, that come through, especially especially with the alien, I feel, mm. when it's just like, this is just silly, bro. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, it didn't feel like a love letter. It felt more like a, you know poor imitation not poor but like a not as well done imitation i guess you can say right. yeah i think that's mainly the underlying through line when it comes to this movie i mean it has coach taylor in it shout out to yeah. coach taylor kyle chandler hey, not, kyle, not kyle chandler um yeah it's kyle chandler that's kyle chandler yeah. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, clear eyes full hearts can't lose man right. are you a friday night lights fan I, bro I'm not, i watched the movie the movie with billy bob oh, Thornton. man that show is so good though yeah Come i've watched on, the man. show either way um this is a fun little through line that we did. Obviously, we didn't mention Cloverfield because he's technically not the director of Cloverfield. Right. Matt Reeves is the director, which he has a close relation to as well, which I think mm -hmm. is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's that kind of Cloverfield kind of way. I don't know if you feel that too with right. Super 8. With, with the mystery box, right? The, the mystery box, right, the, right, the, right, the right. alien, the mm -hmm. filmmaking aspect of it too. Mm -hmm. like the it, Almost like a tribute to filmmaking itself. Even right. though that's not the intention of Cloverfield, that's what it ends up becoming as far as the found footage the found genre. Footage, right. Because it basically kickstarted that found footage genre. Right, right. It was coming out at the same time as Paranormal Activity, but it was it was the first one, a big sci-fi movie to kind of use that aesthetic too. Um, and, and people loved Cloverfield. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I really love Cloverfield, and then um, and I think that's why 
but I think it's, it's you know you're right. It's the transparency of the filmmaking in and of himself. That's what JJ really comes to appreciate, um, and the self reflectiveness. I feel like JJ is much more of a meta director than like we give him credit for, uh, because when you watch you know Star Trek, like we said, Star Trek is basically a Star Wars movie for in today's generation, but it's very transparent in that fact, I feel like. It's very it's very much like, here, you you know, the, these are fast-moving ships. These are, when you watch the original Star Trek, they're not like fast-moving kind of kind of characters and ships and, and battles. It's more quiet and, and somber, but, you know, his movie is like that, you know, where Mission Impossible uh, is a movie about, uh, is a movie about reuniting a team and then that team falling apart again, you know what I mean? Uh, and, I just feel like all of his movies, Super 8 is, like you said, the love of filmmaking while making a movie. The love of kids making films while also being in in what they would normally see in the movies, right? They're being in that situation in real life. Um, And of course, The Force Awakens, I feel like, is the most meta (laughs) of all of his movies. Because literally the first line of of the movie is, is, it'll all be good from here. I think the first line of The Force Awakens is, it'll all be good from here. That Max Valcida says, like, basically saying, like, don't worry, the prequels don't matter. <laughs> the The Force Awakens is where it's going to land. You know what I mean? So the, the, after the reboot, after all. So he is definitely a little winks and nods to what people want in their movies. So Yeah, I mean, th- that's a very interesting perspective to take because I do feel like you're right about his transparency, though. I feel like that even more than anything else. The right. fact that if you interview J.J. Abrams, he's like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm just... Just want to do new. <laughs> he mm. doesn't say that, but he basically says that mm. when he talks about his inspirations. He's like, "Oh yeah, it's super eight, Amblin and Steven Spielberg. Let's do this." Mm. Like he he's not like one of those directors who like when people say, "Oh, you're just ripping this off," and a lot of directors are kind of defensive about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Whereas JJ is like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's what I loved as a kid. Mm. That's what people love." Mm. Like he's so open about basically almost every one of his films are some sort of kind of love letter slash rip off to movies we've seen before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. almost more than any other director like he's one of those kind of directors who's like whereas other directors kind of combine genres like a tarantino where he combines certain genres that he loves whereas jj's like no bro i'm straight up making stuff that i loved as a kid and i don't care because right. <laughs> people love this shit and like you said that's what leads to commercial quality success mm-hmm. and to consider him taking the reins of star trek and star wars and rebooting the franchise and both being successful mm. that's that's like that makes your career even if he just drops the mic now and leaves and pieces out hollywood mm-hmm. like that in itself is very 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 difficult to do so as much crap as people give the force awakens which gets a lot of crap Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, The Last Jedi gets a lot of crap, too, but yeah. The Force Awakens got a lot of shit afterwards, after mm-hmm. the fact, because I remember the first reactions of The Force Awakens being, like, very positive. Mm-hmm. Nothing groundbreaking, but very positive mm-hmm. um, were the first reviews and reactions that I read. Um, was very much like, yeah, this is a really cool. Return to the franchise. Better than the prequels. That's kind of all it had to be, mm-hmm. but at the same time, to make $246 million opening weekend. Ooh. Dude, I mean, that's better than anyone would imagine. Um, so for me, I think that's talent within itself. Yeah, he does, he, he's, he he knows how to make these movies. And um, he definitely, like I said, he wears the influences on his, th- on his sleeves, particularly with The Force Awakens. Uh, one of the things that jumped out to me when I watched it in theaters 
um, and you know, reflecting on it, you know, after we talk about a movie like Super Eight, um, the whole opening of the movie where like the the first order is like landing on the planet and uh, in that little village, and you see Finn coming out of the ship, and he's like he's seeing all the the haze of the battle, right? It's kind of reminiscent of the uh, you know, of of Saving Private Ryan, uh, the whole opening on on D Day where he's like stood out, he's out, you know, he's hazed out, he's looking around, he's not sure what's happening, um, and he's in the middle of war and he has to come confront those those, those things. So, yeah, I mean, t- t- I'm, I'm I'm mentioning that example to say like, yeah, a lot of his movies are if they're taking story beats from one thing, they're going to take some style from another, which is I feel like. Good filmmaking is taking bits and pieces from from what you love and then making it your own. And I think JJ does that, you know, pretty 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 well. Yeah, it's crazy because watching The Force Awakens, the re- I mean, dude, I, I took a day off and waited in line to watch The Force. Yeah, Awakens. I saw like it, it was, the night before. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. like next level the type of like nerve slash hype I had for this movie mm-hmm. because it's restarting the Star Wars franchise. My favorite, most passionate thing I'm ever about is Star Wars. Um, so I was just every scene was almost like I'm nervous, right? I don't know mm. if you felt the same way. I was I was, I was super nervous. In I was excited and nervous. I was like, oh. I will I will say the, the longest gap of my entire life was watching a long time ago in the galaxy far far away, and that little gap before the music hits, like yeah. that felt like it was. I like, saw it with like crazy Star Wars fans too. Yeah. And everyone was dressed up too. Right, which was right, fun. right. But it was dead silent. Was it dead silent for you too? Yes. Or? Yeah, yes. like, like literally, and then the everybody. cheers afterwards when you hear Ta-da! right, right, oh my right, gosh. Right. But even like that sequence where where Max von Sydow says all that stuff, Matt to Luke Skywalker, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, um, and you'll learn about that stuff very quickly. But even like Kylo Ren's reaction to to when Max von Sydow was like, "I don't know what you've become," and something like that, it was like, "You're becoming like someone like Raider or, or the Sith mm-hmm. Lord or whatever he says." And he's like, you're so right. And then he just kills it. <laughs> like, even, even that's kind of slightly comedic, slightly right. off-putting. Um, in order to introduce you to the character of Kylo Ren. Um, and personally, the the whole, like, I talk, you talk. The whole Oscar right. Isaac That's thing, great. That's great. That's great. That's like the most J.J. Abrams thing. Right, right, <laughs> even right. more than the giant lens flare in the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then finally introducing which i've said before a million times it's a good thing to do this stuff and people hate it in in the last jedi Mm -hmm. introducing new iterations of force powers as soon as my theater blew up as soon as kylo ren stopped that laser blast as soon as everyone was like oh shit like i heard people say that Mm -hmm. um and that's why I, I liked it in The Last Jedi, and a lot mm-hmm. of people didn't like it, but I, I thought it was cool because I love the introduction of new ways to use the Force. We've never seen that before, mm-hmm. and that's what The Force Awakens did. And right off the bat, you were like, all right, I'm in, mm-hmm. right? And then eventually a lot of people fell off when, when it came to the, the Death Star. Bigger! Like, that's when people were like, right, all right, man, right, come on now. Right, 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 right. <laughs> come on now. Five planets instead of one! And I was like, really, man? Yeah. Like, I literally said, really, man, in my head in the theater. Um, but everything else for me introducing this franchising introducing these characters was the one thing he had to nail and he nailed it in the force mm-hmm. awakens right off the bat and you know that's that's why i think you know when, when you meet ray for the first time you meet ray you hang out with ray for at least eight ten good minutes um before you even really get any any plot rolling with her you know before I mean? she even says a word right 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 and and it shows you how how active i, I was watching a great video from um uh, from lessons of a screenplay where it's it, it compared The Force Awakens to Rogue One and how you spend a lot of Force Awakens living with Rey's daily routine, seeing how she's actively taking care of herself. 
Whereas the problem with Rogue One is that when you see her, uh, the the protagonist in Rogue One, she's not doing anything active. She's just kind of following along through the entire movie, so you don't really have that connection to her. Whereas with Rey, you know her like right off the bat, and you're just ready to get into it. And which also speaks testament again to when we talk about JJ and his capacity for um, character, character development, character creation, and stuff like that. So yeah, and the same with Finn too. I feel All like right. not enough credit goes to the way he he does with Finn, mm-hmm. especially with the follow up of the Last Jedi and just how. I really was like, I like Finn. And then in the last year, I'm like, Ooh, what's Finn doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen with Finn? I, I I guess he could die. Cool. If he dies, cool. Because I remember when when Force Awakens came out, people were like, J- John Boyega's going to be the next Will Smith. Like, like people were like, really? Well, I mean, he's still pretty big. But at yeah, the same right, time, right. you're right. It was the craziest thing. Right, have not right. just a, a black co-lead, but mm. like the fact that he's like a former stormtrooper and all this right, stuff. Like right, it was a right. big freaking deal. Right. And especially that the first teaser, or one of the first teasers we saw was him with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. was just like, yo, this yeah. is like the dopest shit ever mm-hmm. is about to be Finn. And right. it, obviously it wasn't. It ended up being Ray to be the dopest shit ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's so clearly he's so better and so much better in the freaking Force Awakens than he is in the Last Jedi. Yeah, it's not even comparable. That it's like ugh, I was hoping for Finn, uh, but at the same time I felt like Ryan Johnson might have been like, "Let's do this adventure," and it's like, ugh. yeah, because I was rewatching some videos about it, some interviews about it, and it's funny how they were talking about the story between Luke and uh, Ray leading up to Kathleen Kennedy and Ryan Johnson were talking about that and I was like I wish we got more of this and less of Finn and Rose (laughs) (laughs) like obviously there's people who take it too far when it comes to vitriol hatred and you know comments that are extremely poor taste and racist um, which we saw a lot of when it came to the first trailer of The Force Awakens which to me was like the most hype thing that that teaser when he pops into frame I was like yo this is crazy Mm -hmm. um and it made it feel like this is going to be an event type film, which it was an event type film. Yeah. But uh, but either way, I mean, props to J.J. Abrams for delivering a film that at least started a franchise that could potentially be great or potentially right. be good. And right? it, I mean, he introduced the whole mystery box thing in this one too, of mm-hmm. who's who's raised parents. You know, true. Uh, now, ultimately, I don't know if the answer that we got in the Last Jedi is the answer that is going to keep. To that <laughs> i'm very know. passionate about that I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish your statement well no it's just i mean that's that's what that's what jj does he he, he asks that question and asks and ask us for the answers for it later the, the the idea that a lot of star wars fans and a lot of star wars people that they talk about on youtube and other star wars podcasts the idea of jj reconning what ryan johnson did to mm-hmm. me is the most like it makes my hair stand up type of <laughs> like if you do that you're so so stupid. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> because even if you rewatch that scene where it's like, oh, Kylo lied to her. Kylo didn't even say it. It was her that said it. And I know that could still be manipulation or something. I understand that. But the idea itself, to me, makes so much more sense of her not having that lineage. That's much more of a statement than yeah. any other Star Wars films has already made. And that's The Last Jedi. I agree with that. Like, that's, yeah. th- that's already a bigger statement than anything George did in the original. Like, yeah. that to me is like, come on now. Why would you recon that? Mm-hmm. Like, that that would be that's, super dumb to that's, me. That's a brilliant choice to make that choice of not having her be like Obi-Wan. Because I, I remember when I left the theater, I was immediately like, she's Obi-Wan's granddaughter. She's, I, I know it. I know it. Like, you can't tell me any different. I, you know I was I mean? like, I was on the Luke's daughter train yeah, for the longest yeah, yeah. time. I, just, I didn't, I can buy that she was Luke's daughter only because of 
the age difference? The, the, the age and then the accent, you know what I mean? Yeah. She, she had much more of a British accent. Yeah. And then plus, I thought the whole thing with her doing the Jedi mind trick was was nice. It was a callback sure. to when Obi-Wan did it. And I thought... Um, and I thought the fact that they got Ewan McGregor in to do like those voice, the voice segments, oh man. that that really took me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Being yeah, the yeah. biggest Obi Wan fan, I was on that train too for a minute. Right, the Kenobi train. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, to me, it, it, that would just be dumb. And that's I just feel like if you watch, I've said this a million times. If you watch the Force Awakens after watching the Last Jedi, you start to realize that the story that they said, the mm. Kylo Ren story, whatever people want to call it makes total sense mm. she's basically a slave mm. to unkar plot in the force awakens she's cleaning shit she's getting paid food instead of money mm. she's yeah she's totally sold into bondage for drinking money like kylo ren says to me it makes so much more sense when you watch the force awakens mm -hmm. like i was like yeah that's totally the case because what family would leave her to unkar plot that makes no sense right. like to me watching the force awakens and watching her basically do slave labor <laughs> makes more sense when when the last jedi confirms that yeah she was sold into slavery or bondage mm -hmm. and i was like yeah that's what well, the just, force awakens showed us <laughs> and i think that just makes her a more special character yeah too, just like if her not having to be some sort of lineage she's just being her own force user yeah. and um i wouldn't like i wouldn't mind them retconning it if it was just the scene of 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 kylo saying that to her because you know villains could lie you know sure um but i think the whole scene in the last jedi when she's down in the cave and she looks into the mirror uh when she asks the question who are your parents and then it just reflips and it keeps flipping to herself yeah i think that's an important visual statement as to she's supposed to be on this journey alone yeah um, and I, the fact that she says herself they were nobody right. she says that before kylo says anything he uh -huh. was like they were nobody mm -hmm. come on man come right, on please right. jj don't do that that would hurt me <laughs> right. but, hey man hey jj i think he could really fix this i think he could bring the fans back together yeah i think he could have learned from the mistakes of Star Trek in the Darkness. Sure. And which I think <laughs> so divided the fan base um, that I think there could be some great potential of him potentially just reuniting this. Back yeah. To and it's one of those things, too, that to be honest, man, the whole Colin Trevorrow thing, I'm kind of glad it's JJ. <laughs> yeah, right, right, <laughs> like, right. you weren't the biggest fan of Jurassic World. And now I, I hated it. So, are, are you so, cool with JJ replacing Colin? I just. Or you I, wasn't like cool, I wasn't cool. I wasn't cool. I wasn't cool either, honestly. Like yeah. initially, but I'm much more cool with JJ. Sure. Um, and I think JJ is by far ten times better director than Colin. Tre no, no offense to Colin Trevorrow. Sure. I have a lot of respect for him as a director, but yeah. even though I didn't like, you know, Jurassic, Jurassic World, World. Um, but I still think JJ is a much more better filmmaker than. than yeah, I feel like Book of Henry is probably the one that really. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen hey, Book of Henry. So I haven't I seen it I either. Yeah, but that's the thing that really, yeah. like, Book of Henry came out, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Kathleen can't let that happen. Right, <laughs> and I was like, what was so bad about Book of Henry? But apparently it was bad. Yeah, I see it. But again, I. I, I I think the with with JJ taking the franchise back over it reminisces, you know, the whole thing with the original trilogy to a certain extent, right? Sure. How there was the first how the first movie was directed, crafted by by George Lucas in the same way that JJ did it. The second one handed off to a different director, um, but still, you know, but you know, based off the first one. And a lot of people, you know, kind of mention or, you know, kinda of talk about how you know, even though Return of the Jedi was directed by um, another dude, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. A lot of people saying that you know George Lucas really ghost directing that himself. You know, um, and you know, I think to a certain extent that's what the pattern is now, right? Like sure. JJ coming back to the third film of the franchise and 
making it you know making it making it all work in, in and of itself so. yeah and i love return of the jedi i know a lot of people don't but i it's still my favorite you, star wars movie do you think i love return of jedi too do you think it would have been uh better if they just had one director for all three of these or just different no know? i'm i'm glad that it's different directors for each one i was i was i was cool with jj1 ryan 2 and then later on, they yeah. announced Colin for three. Right. Um, I was cool with that. I was like, that's kind of cool. That's a different director different. of Looper doing. Right. You see what I'm I saying? I loved it. Yeah. Are you kidding to me, me? like the, that kind of system to do it that way, to me, made perfect sense. But even even JJ coming back, I, I I was cool with that. Right. And by the way, like, I don't mean to share on The Last Jedi. If you watch our Ryan Johnson episode, you can tell how much of the biggest Ryan Johnson like fan I am. You know what I mean? And just because I like The Force Awakens more than The Last Jedi doesn't mean I necessarily think that, you know, one movie's, you know, that one movie's far superior than the other one. I think they both have different qualities that make them both good or great to a certain extent. There's, sure. There's just more in the Last Jedi that's whack <laughs> than than the Force Awakens that, that's whack. Which Force Awakens, Mas Kanata, I think is one of the worst characters ever. <laughs> I never liked hey, Mas Kanata. Lupita, man. Hey, Talk I love Nupita. No, I love Lupita Nyong'o. I love Lupita Nyong'o. I just don't like that character. You gotcha. know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with. It. I just think it's an issue of screen time. And when it comes to explanations of certain things, right? But then Finn and Rose, this, the amount of screen time they get is so much that you're like, bro, we get it. Yeah, Turn away, go yeah. back to Luke. <laughs> um, and so even same with the whole Laura Dern character thing. Yeah, like I was okay yeah. with it, but I was like, why are we spending so much time with this? Right, right, right. Like it just right. made it frustrating for me. Yeah, especially when the movie was like the longest Star Wars movie ever, and it's like that's what you chose to <laughs> spend the screen time with. Right, like, right, come on, right, man. Right. But uh, either way, I am genuinely curious what's going to happen with episode nine especially since they already put the casting list especially since we know luke is coming back because we kind of expected that to be the case no matter what but now it's confirmed on the casting list which to me was a very bold decision to make um because my brother's convinced that he's going to be in it for like two scenes and i'm like no he's going to be fourth force ghost doing some shit but we don't know obviously because we haven't we don't know what the movie's going to be and obviously the goodbye of carrie fisher is going to be in episode nine and not in episode eight which right. is also a very bold decision. Um, so I'm curious to see how he handles that. Mm -hmm. um, so many questions that are coming up from this movie. It, to, the biggest one for me is what statement is he going to make? And is it going to be profound enough to make it the most profound statement that J.J. Abrams has ever made in a movie? Is it just going to be like togetherness and family and friends? Or is it going to be something much more groundbreaking or or something that shakes the Star Wars franchise and adds a giant stamp on it, like I said before, where we don't know the conclusion between the dark side and the light side. What's going to be the conclusion for that? Because that, to me, is the biggest thing that Star Wars has ever introduced, is dark side and light side. What? Well, how does it end? Right. I mean, also, and I think to some extent, we can look to the uh, original trilogy and to for some for some for some guidance on that too because that that whole idea is about the um the the old generation uh the evil generation the emperor the 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 vaders all coming to us in while the good rises to prominence and i think what this franchise has proven more than anything thus far is that there you know at least the the jj uh, abrams kathleen kennedy star wars saga has proven thus far is that this is a franchise much more interested in looking at the 
um, how the past influences the present and how how either we're, we're confronted to change change the future or um, look at or or turn turn away from the past, you know. And I think that's the biggest part of the Last Jedi. And I think that's the part of the Force Awakens that was most prominent to me, at least. Like the whole idea of of Rey being this figure who chases after a Luke Skywalker type figure because that's her hero, that's who she looks up to. Again, kind of in our meta analysis of like the fans, right? You know, Rey's supposed to assume the position of the Star Wars fan who's loved Star the previous generation of Star Wars, looking up to find what's new about it, you know? Um, and how the villain of this movie is just a essentially uh, a Dark Vader super fan <laughs> um, who is looking to imitate him all the way to the fullest extent. Uh, where The Last Jedi kind of changes that to a certain extent and it kind of forces Kylo to abandon his love of Vader to, you know, uh, and, and now kind of way when he like smashes his helmet and everything. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm really excited to see where they go with it. I'm hoping it's somewhere dope, but if not, Star Wars is Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we always sure. have the original <laughs> three. Yeah, so. for sure. And I, and I do feel like there is a quality boost no matter what with this new trilogy versus what we've had before on a general quality level. Oh, yeah. yeah Everyone yeah, yeah. knows my opinions on the prequels, yeah, which yeah. is basically unabashed love. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I adore yeah. the prequels. But at the same time, there is something to, to be said about these new movies, starting with. The character of Ray, which is the background of my phone, um, which is literally, <laughs> she is literally right here. It's true, hey, <laughs> so Ray. I can't, I can't really hide my adoration and my love of Ray and of this new character that J.J. Abrams gave me personally. Because mm. um, to be honest, I, I'm on board, and mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see how this ends. Yeah, me too. All right, guys, that was our podcast. That was our episode on J.J. Abrams. Let us know what you think. Let us know what is your opinion on these new Star Wars franchises and the Star Trek franchise in general. And Mission Impossible. And Mission Impossible. What do you think of Fallout? What do you think of our opinions on Fallout? Um, Let us know in the comments down below. Once again, guys, thank you for listening all the way through. Thank you for watching on YouTube. We appreciate it. Best way to connect is on the comment section. So we love you guys. We definitely want to share more of our strong opinions with you guys oh yeah and for the meaning of podcast i'm ace this is rb3 and we are peacing out peace out guys